This is Everyday Light, a perfectly imperfect reading of the One Year Daily Bible. I'm Molly, a fellow pilgrim on the road to the kingdom, and it is a joy to have you traveling this journey with me, with the Word of God as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Welcome. This is the One Year Bible Reading for August 25th, and we are in the middle of the book of Job, uh, chapter 16, starting at the start of the chapter today. And we've been hearing a lot from Job's unhelpful, uncomforting, and self-righteous friends, and Job is going to respond. Then Job spoke again. I've heard all this before. What miserable comforters you are. Won't you ever stop your flow of foolish words? What have I said that makes you speak so endlessly? I could say the same things if you were in my place. I could spout off my criticisms against you and shake my head at you. But that's not what I would do. I would speak in a way that helps you. I would try to take away your grief. But as it is, my grief remains no matter how I defend myself. And it does not help if I refuse to speak. Oh God, you have ground me down and devastated my family. You have reduced me to skin and bones, as proof, they say, of my sins. God hates me and tears angrily at my flesh. He gnashes his teeth at me and pierces me with his eyes. People jeer and laugh at me. They slap my cheek in contempt. A mob gathers against me. God has handed me over to sinners. He has tossed me into the hands of the wicked. I was living quietly until he broke me apart. He took me by the neck and dashed me to pieces. Then he set me up as his target. His archers surrounded me and his arrows pierced me without misery. The ground is wet with my blood. Again and again he smashed me, charging at me like a warrior. Here I sit in sackcloth. I have surrendered and I sit in the dust. My eyes are red with weeping. Darkness covers my eyes, yet I am innocent and my prayer is pure. O oh, earth, do not conceal my blood. Let it cry out on my behalf. Even now my witness is in heaven. My advocate is there on high. My friends scorn me, but I pour out my tears to God. Oh, that someone would mediate between God and me as a person mediates between friends. For soon I must go down that road from which I never will return. My spirit is crushed and I am near death. The grave is ready to receive me. I am surrounded by mockers. I watch how bitterly they taunt me. <clears throat> you must defend my innocence, O God, since no one else will stand up for me. You have closed their minds to understanding, but do not let them triumph. They denounce their companions for their own advantage, so let their children faint with hunger. God has made a mockery of me among the people. They spit in my face. My eyes are dim with weeping, and I am but a shadow of my former self. The upright are astonished when they see me. The innocent are aroused against the ungodly. The righteous will move onward and forward, and those with pure hearts will become stronger and stronger. As for all of you, come back and try again, but I will not find a wise man among you. My days are over. My hopes have disappeared. My heart's desires are broken. They say that night is day and day is night. How they pervert the truth. I might go to the grave and make my bed in darkness. 
and I might call the grave my father, and the worm my mother and my sister. But where then is my hope? Can anyone find it? No, my hope will go down with me to the grave. We will rest together in the dust. Then Bildad, the Shuhite, replied, How long before you start, stop talking? Speak sense if you want us to answer. Do you think we are cattle? Do you think we have no intelligence? You may tear your hair out in anger, but will that cause the earth to be abandoned? Will it make rocks fall from a cliff? The truth remains that the light of the wicked will be snuffed out. The sparks of their fire will not glow. The light in their tent will grow dark. The lamp hanging above them will be quenched. The confident stride of the wicked will be shortened. Their own schemes will be their downfall. The wicked walk into a net. They fall into a pit that's been dug in the path. A trap grabs them by the heel. A noose tightens around them or it lies hidden in the ground. A rope lies coiled on their path. Terrors surround the wicked and trouble them at every step. Their vigor is depleted by hunger and calamity waits for them to stumble. Disease eats their skin. Death devours their limbs. They are torn from the security of their tent and they are brought down to the king of terrors. The home of the wicked will disappear beneath a fiery barrage of burning sulfur. Their roots will dry up and their branches will wither. All memory of their existence will perish from the earth. No one will remember them. They will be thrust from light into darkness, driven from the world. They will have neither children nor grandchildren, nor any survivor in their home country. People in the West are appalled at their fate. People in the East are horrified. They will say, this was the home of a wicked person, the place of one who rejected God. Then Job spoke again, how long will you torture me? How long will you try to break me with your words? Ten times now you have meant to insult me. You should be ashamed of dealing with me so harshly. And even if I have sinned, that is my concern, not yours. You are trying to overcome me using my humiliation as evidence of my sin. But it is God who has wronged me. I cannot defend myself for I am like a city under siege. I cry out for help, but no one hears me. I protest, but there is no justice. God has blocked my way and plunged my path into darkness. He has stripped me of my honor and removed the crown from my head. He has demolished me on every side and I am finished. He has destroyed my hope. His fury burns against me. He counts me as an enemy. His troops advance. They build up roads to attack me. They camp all around my tent. My relatives stay far away and my friends have turned against me. My neighbors and my close friends are all gone. The members of my household have forgotten me. The servants' girls consider me a stranger. I am like a foreigner to them. I call my servant, but he doesn't come. I even plead with him. My breath is repulsive to my wife. I am loathsome to my family. Even young children despise me. When I stand to speak, they turn their backs on me. My close friends abhor me. Those I loved have turned against me. I have been reduced to skin and bones and have escaped by the skin of my teeth. Have mercy on me, my friends, have mercy, for the hand of God has struck me. Why must you persecute me as God does? Why aren't you satisfied with my anguish? Oh, that my words could be written. Oh, that they could be inscribed on a monument carved with an iron chisel and filled with lead engraved forever in the rock. But as for me, 
I know that my Redeemer lives and that he will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body, I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at the thought. How dare you go on persecuting me, saying it's his own fault. I warn you, you yourselves are in danger of punishment for your attitude. Then you will know that there is judgment. We're going to end 1 Corinthians today, starting, uh, we're going to read for, uh, chapter 16. Now, about the money being collected for the Christians in Jerusalem, you Corinthians should follow the same procedures I gave to the churches in Galatia. On every Lord's Day, each of you should put aside some amount of money in relation to what you have earned and save it for this offering. Don't wait until I get it collected all at once. When I come, I will write letters of recommendation for the messengers you choose to deliver your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems appropriate to me also to go along, then we can travel together. I am coming to visit you after I have been to Macedonia, for I am planning to travel through Macedonia. It could be that I will stay a while with you, perhaps all winter, and then you can send me on my way to the next destination. This time, I don't want to make just a short visit and then go right on. I want to come and stay a while if the Lord will let me. In the meantime, I will be staying here at Ephesus until the festival of Pentecost, for there is a wide open door for a great work here. And many people are responding, but there are many who oppose me. When Timothy comes, treat him with respect. He is doing the Lord's work just as I am. Don't let anyone despise him. Send him on his way with your blessings when he returns to me. I am looking forward to seeing him soon along with the other brothers. Now, about our brother Apollos, I urged him to join the other brothers when, I, when they visit you, but he was not willing to come right now. He will be seeing you later when the time is right. Be on guard. Stand true to what you believe. Be courageous. Be strong. And everything you do must be done with love. You know that Stephanus and his household were the first to become Christians in Greece, and they are spending their lives in service to other Christians. I urge you, dear brothers and sisters, to respect them fully and others like them who serve with such real devotion. I am so glad that Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaeus have come here. They have been making up for the help you weren't here to give me. They have been a wonderful encouragement to me, as they have been to you too. You must give proper honor to all who serve so well. The churches here in the province of Asia greet you heartily in the Lord, along with Aquila and Priscilla and all the others who gather in their home for church meetings. All the brothers and sisters here have asked me to greet you, greet you for them. Greet each other in Christian love. Here is my greeting, which I write with my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, that person is cursed. Our Lord, come. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be astounded. They will put their trust in the Lord. 
Oh, the joys of those who trust in the Lord, who have no confidence in the proud or in those who worship idols. Oh, Lord, my God, you have done many miracles for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. If I tried to recite all your wondrous, wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end of them. You take no delight in sacrifices or offerings. Now that you have made me listen, I fully understand. You don't require burnt offerings or sin offerings. Then I said, look, I have come, and this has been written about me in your scroll. I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your law is written on my heart. I have told all your people about your justice. I have not been afraid to speak out, as you, O Lord, well know. I have not kept this good news hidden in my heart. I have talked about your faithfulness and saving power. I have told everyone in the great assembly of your unfailing love and faithfulness. Proverbs 22.1 Choose a good reputation over great riches, for being held in high esteem is better than having silver or gold. And to end today, we're going back to the life you've always wanted. And the life you've always wanted in this chapter is an undivided life. So we talked about being torn by double-mindedness, um, multiplicity, uh, being torn in too many directions, tossed like waves on the sea, and duplicity, thinking that we are following one path, but really um, seeking another end. And the alternative to duplicity and multiplicity is a life characterized by simplicity. Clifford Williams writes, we possess singleness when we are not pulled in opposite directions and when we act without wanting something further for ourselves. Our inner drives do not conflict. They are aimed in one direction. Our motives, the motives that we appear to have, are the ones we really have. Our inner focus is unified and our public posture corresponds with it. We are not, in short, divided. Jesus could have used the words of Jack Palance, you know, one thing, your life is about one thing. What he said was, strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness. There is an echo of this thought in Jesus' words to a friend named Martha. This follower was distracted by her many tasks and resented her sister Mary, who had chosen simply to sit in the presence of Jesus. Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. The secret of life is one thing. There is unbelievable relief in being delivered from double-mindedness in finally deciding on the focus of life. If we want to be saved from double-mindedness, we must be transformed by the renewing of our minds. An indispensable practice is to have our minds reformed by, the immer by immersing them in scripture. And he talks about this as being cleansed with the washing of the water by the word. And he goes on to talk about thinking about what happens when things are washed or unwashed. And he writes, only after washing can we see the fabric in the state for which it was originally designed. He talks about the difference, the, the contrast between um, God's will for us and the simplicity of those thoughts and the thoughts that arise from our flesh nature that are always competing with them. He writes, my mind is like, to use a wonderful image from Henry Nouwen, a banana tree filled with monkeys constantly jumping up and down. It is rarely still or quiet. And 
in an image less charming than Nguyen's monkeys. One ancient writer, John Climacus, compared it to maggot eggs that incubate in the soil of our fallenness. That is such a disturbing image, but it actually makes me motivated to try to root those out before they oh, incubate. So, uh, so what we need instead is a cleansed mind. And um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, often we are so burdened and overwhelmed with other thoughts, images, and concerns that it may take a long time before God's word has swept all else aside and come through. This is the very reason why we begin our meditation with the prayer that God may send his Holy Spirit to us through his word and reveal his word to us and enlighten us. So he is going to talk uh, next time when we read more um, about the purpose of scripture. Paul says that the purpose of knowing scripture is to enable us when we, is not to enable us when we go to heaven to get a perfect 100 score on the entrance exam. He says that the purpose is for us to become equipped for good works, or to put it another way, it is for us to become transformed into the kind of people from whom goodness flows like an unceasing stream of water. So next time, Ortberg is going to talk about how we study scripture to prepare us for good works. In the meantime, have a beautiful day. Love you all.